Frank, while we're on the topic of in-app subscriptions from last week, I have an update. Update, Frank. Feedback. Feedback. Feedback from you. Can't wait. Follow-up. Feedback. Um, You are rich now and you're retiring from the podcast. Don't tell me the bad news, James. No, I haven't rolled it out yet. Be- oh. <laughs> but but I have I have officially 100% got it all implemented testing. Okay. The, the the conundrum that I ran into is that I don't have an Android device that runs the latest version of Android and I really want to test my app on Android because I've retargeted, recompiled and permissions and odd things may have changed. So, I'm waiting to release iOS and Android even though Android or iOS is updated and ready to go. It's approved and ready to release. Oh, Android, I'm waiting to test it on this um, used cracked screen device that I got on eBay for $100. Because <laughs> I was like, why not? Um, okay. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So it, it's just the latest one. You do have some Androids. You were testing on some Androids already, I assume, then? Correct. I have an Android. Do you have an Android 8 and Android 10? Uh, Heather has an Android and 11, I think, and then I'll have an Android 12. So we'll have between the family <laughs> of all Android test devices, uh, we'll have all the different varieties that are be out there. Uh, and which that's something you can't really test in the emulator because it's in-app purchase and all that, right? And the Bluetooth. That's the big change. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's that. Now, I will say this. There's a few gotchas that I've learned since last <laughs> Uh, podcast, if of I will. course, of course, uh, I, I don't think I mentioned last podcast that um, you you have to. Did I mention last podcast how you have to completely check the subscriptions like transaction logs different from iOS and Android because iOS returns all of them, but Android only returns one active one and you have to programmatically calculate forward in time when the subscription cancels because they won't tell you. No, I don't think you explained it was quite that bad. What, how how I understood it was you wrote a somewhat complicated algorithm for the Apple side because you had to figure out which are the ones in the receipt you could ignore and which ones were actually active. And yes. I was under the assumption that that logic would port over to the Android side. I, I think that I hadn't tested it on Android. And then <laughs> I did test it on Android, Frank. And let me tell you how it doesn't work that way at all. Oh. Uh, so what happens how, with An- James? Please tell me, how does it work? <laughs> so how it works on Android, Frank, is that you query the purchases and it will only give you back active purchases, which sounds pretty okay, right? Because if uh, you have it, it's active. Okay. Purchases count for subscriptions in this case. Okay. Correct. Here's the conundrum, Frank, is mm. that they do not append or change any data when a renewal occurs. Oh, so there's only what, like, is there any date attached to it? Like the original purchase date? Is that it? That is correct. It is the original purchase oh. date, Frank, oh. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which, so here's what I ended up having to do. Okay. But the logic is this then. Is there an active receipt or not? You, your, yes. your Boolean logic is just, does it exist or not? Right then? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Okay. I solved it. I was getting nervous here. I was like, is he oh. accumulating time? What's he going to do? Oh, no, no, no. I do that. But then Frank, it actually gets better because I need to calculate the new expiration date. Do you though? Uh, yeah, because I don't want to check it every single time they open the application. Hmm, because it's a network thing. Yeah, 
it's actually a cache thing, but it, it would just be annoying to do that every time they open the app. But Okay, but don't you just do your forgiveness thing? Why don't you just check every five days or something like that? I, yeah, I do. But here's what I do, Frank, is what I do. I, I could do that as a backup. But what I do is I say, well, it's very simple. I know when you originally purchased it, so it's going to expire if I keep adding one month, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then once I add one month, if that's in the future, then add five more days and that's the expiration. Okay, that works. That works. Yeah. Yeah. A while loop. A while you do it in a while there. loop? You could probably yeah. just do a modulus. It'd be off by a couple days, but who cares about calendars? No. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to send, send you the logic. It's very I simple. You. I get that's, you. That's, that's it. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's a very simple loop, everyone. It's a while the date is less than now. Add some time. Mm-hmm. it's fine it'll it'll probably work i can give you a few edge cases where that won't work but fine <laughs> yeah it's fine just just do a modulus but okay fine yeah so. um excellent excellent that works um interesting okay so do you only check until that date expires then you don't check again correct yeah oh okay so you're not yeah. checking willy-nilly you just do it when you think it might be expired. Okay. Uh, correct. Yeah. And as long as it's there, it's totally there and totally good to go. And then I just figured out the new sub date. Okay. So uh, here's here's the other thing I want to tell you. I wanted to resell you even further on subs because once you figure out this crazy logic and you have it in your app, there are these really amazing things, Frank, that are going to blow your mind because <laughs> they're called introductory offers. Do you know about these? Uh, you were mentioning them. We knew about there was a free for a short time. Is that the introductory offer? Are we talking Apple or are we talking Google here? Uh, at least Apple, probably on Google too, but it doesn't matter because here's the thing, (laughs) because you know how if someone buys your app and then they don't like it, then they, you know, leave a bad review and then they request money back. Mm -hmm. Like in your instance, like you want to like upgrade to pro and get a bunch of stuff with introductory offers, you can do so many cool things. One, you can just give a full month for free, three days for free. You can give whatever time for free. It doesn't matter. Or Frank, you can say, Hey, I'm going to give you 50% off for the first three months. Or Um. (laughs) I'm going to say, instead of buying one month buy 12 months at a reduced fee. So you can have like all of these cool tiers and options to upsell, um, to get people in or you can just again give them a free trial. Like you may just want to be like free trial. And I was looking at this and it's so cool. It just is automatically in the system and Apple takes care of, uh, takes care automatically of the um of knowing, let's say you give them a 3-day trial of basically, you know, giving you a new receipt in 3 days when they actually purchased it and calculating and things like that. So, it's really cool. That's what I'm saying. There's a whole bunch of really cool things if you're worried about oh well, people will upgrade to pro, but then to be disappointed, give them a free trial and they'll be much happier, which is pretty cool. And you can do like the easiest thing would be if you have a one month subscription, give them a one month free trial. And then, you know, then you don't have to worry about extra math in your application because it would still expire in a month and you'd be good to go. So boom, there you go. Love it. Um, real quick questions, follow up. Uh, are These are not promo codes. These are something you add to the UI within your app and something you just tag onto the purchase, I'm, I'm assuming. Is that how it works? Uh, it's literally even better than that, Frank. Uh, uh, so you go into your subscription and you say, please add an introductory offer to this in-app subscription. Um, and what happens is when the user goes to buy it, they will be automatically gifted the introductory offer. But additionally, when you query your products from the app store, 
-hmm. If there is an introductory offer, it will give you information about the introductory offer. So there's like a enum that says it's a free trial, reduced rate or bundle. And then it gives you information for how long pretty much inside of it. So you can then display that in the UI, um, however you want. So you might say pro is $9.99 a month or, you know, or, or sign up now and get three days for free. Right. And then boom, you're good to go. Great. Okay. Ooh. So when I query my products, it comes as extra information. So I just have to display that information. And then when they purchase, it's already automatic if it's or if it exists. Exactly. Yep. Got it. Boom. Easy peasy. And then additionally, if you, um, you can also promote in-app purchases in the store, by the way. So you can, you can you just add some additional metadata. You have to do some other handling in the top of your app. But if you promote your subscription it shows up in the app so if they were typing in iCircuit they would see iCircuit and then iCircuit Pro subscription or whatever I'm just pretending that that exists mm -hmm. and if there's a free trial it'll also say free free trial like just get it right now and then it'll totally work too so anyway just want to let you know lots of cool stuff absolutely fantastic yeah I think I, I think I'm going to experiment I'm either going to experiment first with um continuous or iCircuit 3D and I haven't decided which one but new version mm -hmm. of continuous I think I'll find out but probably be a little bit of time but thank you for the follow-up I plan on getting to it eventually yeah I feel like continuous is a great model because you could put in different pro features right yeah. and then but everyone that already exists today they could you know basically have the pro version somehow and then you know they have to loop you have to loop that oh, in I, somehow no, I, I think I'm going to do a little bit of a soft reset and just do a mm. whole different SKU. Um, I've been uh -huh. wanting to do it for a while anyway. Um, I, I was going to do that just as, you know, Visual Studio 2001, Visual Studio 2013, uh, you know, purchase yeah. it again. But for the next SKU, I'm going to start with um, an app purchase for sure. Ah, very cool. That makes a lot of sense because then if you do subscriptions, uh, there and you have a free unlock it could be like the same price as if the other skew or yeah. whatever the old yeah because i want to have a free version of it too that's just like yeah. basic maybe literally basic <laughs> yeah i imagine like me giving you two bucks a month or whatever that seems yeah, doable. yeah. exactly yep take so, my money frank take so my be on money. the lookout everyone <laughs> frank's trying to monetize <laughs> hey you gotta do it you gotta do it the seattle yeah. prices <clears throat> uh all right frank that was my topic which was 10 minutes of our introductory because i just i wrote an entire blog post i'll put it in the show notes oh, as well okay. i went I, I spent a lot of time diving in on this and spent a lot of time this weekend so i was excited follow up you know we spent an hour on it last week which is totally <laughs> worth everybody's time to go listen to that <laughs> podcast um, but if you haven't definitely go listen to it now, now you'll understand what I'm talking about, but Frank, what have you been up to? Because I've just been testing in app subscriptions and that is not fun, but I'm assuming no. you're having more fun than me, maybe. Oh, I am having way more fun than you. I want to talk about something I love talking about, which is performance optimization. Okay. <laughs> it's great. It really is great. Uh, so James, uh, I, we, we can, I'm curious what your experience is here, but I'll say off the top of my head, I don't actually performance optimize my code that often. I, I always had to do it once for iCircuit because it's a simulation engine. I had to make sure it runs efficiently. So I do performance checks with that kind of thing. Um, but most of my other apps, I don't really feel a need for it. But what I really want to talk about is there is a new way, at least new to me, and therefore I want to make sure everyone knows about it, to do performance traces of apps in .NET and .NET 6 and everything moving forward. And I'm very excited by it because I love performance. How about you? 
Uh, I'm a big fan of performance, but I never know how to properly trace performance or measure performance. So Frank, I feel like I'm going to learn a lot today. Oh, uh, yes, you are in the right place. You are in the right place. Uh, so let me go back with the great old saying, if you want to make your code fast, don't guess where the code is slow. And it was funny. I was just working on a recent little bit of a side project, not one of my real projects, not, you know, not, not something that pays the bills. But it was a ray tracer. And what's more fun than to try to make a ray tracer fast, right? It's a classic kind of optimization thing. But I was a little frustrated because I didn't have good tools for it. And I was writing optimized code, but I really, I was having a hard time measuring, <laughs> like, was my code having an impact or not? I had no idea what was slow. I would change a bunch of things and the speed wouldn't change. And then I was like, I forgot the first rule of performance stuff, which is measure, 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 measure. Don't even try to solve performance problems until you've measured first. So what tools have you used in the past? Anything? To measure performance? Yeah. Exactly. No. Okay. Silence. <laughs> crickets. Insert cricket sound there. <laughs> Let me tell you, James. There, I'm going to change your mind on this because it is stupid easy now with a really good UI. So mm. let me tell you. Let me tell you. And I'm sorry, everyone. I think this has been out since .NET 3, .NET Core 3, and I'm a little bit late to the game. But there is a tool called .NET hyphen trace. .NET dash trace. It exists. Uh, you can .NET global tool install it. It's from the .NET team or Microsoft or something. And what it does is it runs your app and collects profiling information from your app. Profiling information, the stuff that I'm interested in that I'm talking about right now is CPU stuff. So, mm. you know, what functions are running at the whole time. And it's a sampling profiler. So the goal with a sampling profiler is it shouldn't affect the performance of your app, or if it does affect the performance of your app, it should be very minor. The downside of it is that it has to collect tons and tons and tons and tons of data. And what do you do with that? Right. I mean, data. Data. You, you, it's, it's the when, worst. When I, yeah, whenever <laughs> I get logs, whenever I get things, even when I'm you know debugging and you're getting all this performance analysis output like from visual studio like if you're you know getting all this stuff like i don't know what to do with this i have like profile my apps and i've like looked at different things i'm like i don't know what i'm looking at here there's just too much there's like literally too much data like <laughs> sometimes you complain there's not enough data but there's like too much i don't know what to do with it and i just want to close it and get rid of it forever yeah and, and that's basically where i always was with this dotnet trace because when you, uh, sorry so everyone uh .net hyphen trace space collect space your app <laughs> give it something to run and it'll collect this giant log file called uh, i forget what they call it a net trace or something i'm like why is it called a net trace i'm trying to do a cpu trace here <laughs> you know I'm, I'm totally confused but i read the docs i read the docs <laughs> so you don't have to change oh good okay good <laughs> What I found was, um, I guess if you're a Windows user, you're all set. There is an app out there called PerfView. I've never used it. I've never mm. seen it. But I guess that can load these files. So this is one of those cases where um, .NET's outputting a file of it for a tool that Microsoft people have, kind of. It's technically a standard out there, but... I, I was Googling around. I'm like, there doesn't seem to be a Mac viewer for it or anything. Huh. That's a little uh, weird. It sounds like an opportunity for you to build one, Frank. 
I started to think that too, right? I mean, who doesn't want to write a profiling tool? That that won't suck down six months of my life or anything. <laughs> and so I was a little disheartened, but then I noticed there's a second command in .NET hyphen trace. .NET hyphen trace convert. Ooh, I like that. I feel like we're kind of into that world of machine learning models, but they're trace logs now. <laughs> yeah, and it is a lot of data, everyone. Uh, let me describe a proper way to use these tools. Um, it turns out they're the happiest when you just kind of run your app and then your app terminates. So what I found uh, was writing like a little console app version of my app that just runs a couple functions, the functions I want to trace. Kind of like what you would do if you're doing benchmark.net to mm. measure the overall performance of it. But uh, anyway, so that way you're just kind of limiting the logs. I find like run something for about five seconds and that should give you, you know, plenty of a log to go trace. So <laughs> .NET dash tr uh, trace space convert to speed scope. Speed scope. Ever heard of speed scope? No, I have not heard of speed scope, scope at all. But I Me do see that I see that there's net trace speed scope. And another one, too. I don't know if you're going to get to the other one, too, but no. I don't know what a speed scope is. We are literally at... also <laughs> converting the files are irreversible, by the way. They did not make a backup for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what I do, though? I convert it to speed scope and then I delete that net trace file because speed scope files are JSON. Oh, and, that's convenient. And everyone can read JSON. That's great. That's a great format. Um it, they're going to be huge, though, everyone. So imagine what's happening here. So uh, 10,000 times a second, it is printing out the stack of your app on every thread. So imagine how much data that is, and it's collecting and it's collecting it. Okay, so it's collected in this weird format, and we can convert it to this other weird format. I still don't know what to do now. So I start to search, like, how do you view SpeedScope files on a Mac? And it turns out, there is a website, James, speedscope.app. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. It might be one of the greatest websites ever created, ever. It's a little bit confusing because you go to this website and they're just like, hey, just drop your file here, buddy. And you're like, what, what, what do you mean just drop my file here? They're like, just drop your file here. And trust us. It'll be fine. <laughs> and I mm -hmm. don't... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm like, oh God, am I going to have to create an account and get a subscription? <laughs> Is there going to be a free trial? You know, how, how long will the free trial last for? <laughs> but no, it all seems to run client side. What you do is you take your ridiculous hundreds of megabytes um, prof trace file and you dump it on this website and it creates one of the best visualizations I've seen for doing performance analysis of an app. So I just want to make clear the happiest moment in my life is I finally get a decent UI for ex very easily, honestly, very easily co collecting a trace of my app. In the past, uh, if I wanted to do this, my, my favorite UI was instruments built into mm. Xcode. And I would literally port things over to iOS just so I could run them on iOS, just so I could use Xcode's performance tools because their UI was that good. Now, no more. No more, James. <laughs> now we have SpeedScope. Uh, so what SpeedScope will show you is pretty fantastic. It's a timeline for every thread. And you can see exactly what functions it's executing, at least at 
one ten thousandth of a second resolution. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, you can see what code is calling what code, where all the time is being spent, what they're doing. Uh, it can get a little bit busy because it has multiple threads. There are a few UI elements that I feel like I'm missing, like a good profiler will just tell you, look, you're spending all your time in this function or you're spending mm-hmm. all your time in that function, you know, B- boil it down for me. It doesn't have quite all the good boil it down for me features, but with a little bit of practice and everything, you can kind of get used to it. Um, are, are, have you managed to collect a trace within the last five seconds and look at, at on Speedscope, James? <laughs> uh, Speedscope has an example uh, that oh, you fantastic. can click on and Excellent. you can... You can uh, organize this by time order, left heavy, or sandwich, which has a sandwich emote emoji yeah. on there, and that's very favorable for me. They do. They they love their emojis here, <laughs> and I will say I I love this UI, but it's not exactly intuitive. So I highly recommend that everyone go read the manual. <laughs> oh, okay, because yeah, th- this is a tool <laughs> that you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> this is a tool that you need to know how it works before you start using it. It's true. It's true. But in its simplest form, it is just a timeline. From left to right is your app's execution. And you can see exactly what your app was doing during that execution time. So you can zoom out, zoom out really far back and see kind of, okay, it was you know loading a file for this amount of time. It was rendering an image for that amount of time. It was doing the network for that amount of time. And you can get that high level perspective. And then when you decide, oh, you know, it feels like it's spending too much time in that part, what you can do is double click on those stack traces and zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and try to figure out what's causing the delays in your app. And it's usually something like you're copying buffers around or you're waiting on a network connection. It's it's usually a wait. <laughs> There's usually a wait handle involved and you're just sitting there stalling the thread. I wish that I could see the example one seems it has a lot of its Java app, I think, has mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in it. So I don't actually know what's going on, Frank. So there's like a funnel, there's colors there to get smaller at some point. Imagine if you single stepped through your entire app, one step, okay. one step, one step. And on every step, you just recorded the stack. Oh, I see. Got it. Imagine that's all this thing is displaying for you without the inefficiencies of doing that. So, yeah, this is a Java app. Um, Maybe it's a little hard to read the example here. I would send you my file, but I don't know if I can do it on air in all that time. (laughs) But what, um, what you'll see in these kind of apps is they'll break it down by each thread. And you'll get to see what is a thread doing. So you usually Mm -hmm. start with the main thread of your app, the very first thread that's created. And in most apps, it's, you know, read in some files, do some processing, write some files out. That's what a script would do. Uh, For iCircuit, it's the simulation engine. So it goes into a loop and it's simulating, simulating, simulating. Hmm. I can see exactly how long each function is taking during that simulation. And then I use my own judgment and decide if it's taking too long or not, (laughs) you know, meeting the performance criteria that you set. And then you dig in and you try to figure out why and answer the question, why? Yeah, and this is helpful if obviously you know your code because you wrote your code. So you're, these calls, these things are looking pretty familiar. And then if something looks a little out of place, like, hmm, it's really weird that it took 
half a second to read this file from disk. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, and then you like you can go back to the code, fix something, run it again, retrace it, and then compare and contrast side by side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some things are hard. Sometimes you feel like you're playing detective, but like you have so much data that you really can feel like you're playing detective. Other things are really obvious. So I was working on that ray tracer and I noticed a long stretch of the app didn't have a busy stack. You're looking at this and, you know, the stack changes over time. It looks like a mountain range. But mm-hmm. then there was a section of my app that was just, it wasn't a mountain range. It was a flat desert. Flat <laughs> desert of what in God's name is going on here. <laughs> and when you have something flat, that just means there is a single function that is just taking a long time. Huh. Or in my case, it was a single function that took a long time and then it did it again. And then it did again, 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 again. And it was just this infinite desert of boring computation. And you know what I did? I did a parallel for each over those 10 things, do them in parallel instead. And I cut that time down in, you know, maybe a fifth, something like that, just by using up more threads. So it's a good place to see parallelization opportunities too. If if you run one of these traces and see a giant flat desert of doing nothingness, I think I could probably use some other threads or some other cores to do this in parallel. Well, I think also the these things come really into play with graphic intensive types of applications or computational applications where you can take advantage of those multiple, multiple threads. But at the same time, you know, I also think of it as I have looked at some of my code in the past where I do await, do something, await, do something, await, do something. And then I do something at the end. And what I don't really realize is that I could just run all those tasks at the same time, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so even in an application where maybe you're making some web requests, why not make all those web requests at the same time? Or why not do X, Y, Z at the same time? Like that, you know, uh, a good example, you know, just animations, like play all the animations at the same time instead of doing certain things and awaiting and, and you know, abusing that poor TPL, um, <laughs> those multiple, I guess that's not threads, but they're tasks on a thread and they're, I guess it could be multiple threads, but, but you know what I mean? Like there's those things too, which might show up, which you could say, oh, it's super weird that this one method of refresh data is taking five seconds. Oh, well, why is it taking five seconds? Well, because I'm doing these calls inside of it instead of doing them all simultaneous, right? That could be your problem is three seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but it could be one second. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's big. That's that's literally 200%, 5 billion percent faster. <laughs> yeah. Or if you have an app like iCircuit that has a simulation loop, that simulation loop is attempting to run 50,000 times per second. So anything that's slow inside of that loop shows up like a big red herring. You know, I, I zoom into one of these things and there's a giant, oops, you messed up. <laughs> you know, it's it's mm. very obvious that I made a mistake because nothing in the simulation engine is allowed <laughs> to take up time just by kind of definition. So, yeah, and in that case, it's almost um, it's important to the app because if the simulation route doesn't run fast enough, it can fall behind on audio and things like that. Mm. And then it's not real time anymore. So it's not just me being a performance freak, which I am (laughs) guilty, but uh, it actually affects the correctness of the app, too, if it's too slow. I have. 
sorry. My well, my favorite part of this app, I'm still on the speedscope.app, mm-hmm. is that so so people you just go to speedscope.app. I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes if I remember. Uh and the I, cool I want, part is sorry, I want to make it clear too. What what's so cool about this is how easy it is to get a trace from .NET too. So everyone just go trace your app. It, it'll just be fun. If you have an app, go trace your app and throw it into Speedscope. Don't look at the example. It'll be way more interesting with your own app. Yes. But for the example or your own app, there's like this, you know, plateau, it's a reverse plateau and a reverse mountain, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, the cool part is, is like, it's in a a big view on the bottom and like a mini histograph on top. But the cool part is that at any point you can click and like select a box, a range, and the whole thing moves so beautifully. It's just like a colorful rainbow of goodness and joy when you're doing, you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, oh, so absolutely. Cool. So this is why you need to read the help file because there are actually a lot of keyboard shortcuts for moving that view around. Ooh. Like it actually it responds to the WASD cursor keys. So you can use WASD wow. to move plus and minus to zoom in and enhance. Very important because you sometimes you need the uh, larger outer perspective. Sometimes you need to see exactly which functions are being called. You can double click on a function and zoom in to just that function to see everything that it's calling and what's taking time there. And yeah, there, there's there's a million things to read in here. <laughs> now, you were saying before uh, about tasks and threads, and I'll admit that's where it gets a little bit bad. This tool is obviously very generic. Um, mm. You can just throw anything at it and it can it'll display this beautiful graph. But it doesn't know about how, like you said, the TPL works and tasks work and all that stuff. So it's, uh, your code that actually does await, 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 await is going to be scattered over a bunch of threads. Uh, and yeah. at the very top of the app, you can select which threads you're going to be viewing. And as far as I can tell, it's only one at a time. Maybe there's other ways to use this app. So I'll say that async code can be a bit tricky uh, to work out here. Mm. But, you know, James, you and I could write our own UI for this and, and we'll work yeah. out all that async craziness and, yeah. and we'll restore the graphs to beautifulness. Now, how does, does this work with all my apps or what everything? Uh, okay, so I my example was I did .NET 6. As okay. far as I know, this has been a feature of .NET Core since version 3-ish. Mm, okay. So I'm very late to the game. But yeah. you know what's cool now? .NET 6 includes Apple apps and things like that. Ah, so yeah, this, this works on all the .NET Core stuff. So anything you have, this will work on your ASPs. This will work on your, I don't know, what else, everything. Androids? On my Androids? Probably, maybe, I don't know, hashtag, I don't know how Android emulators work and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's easiest uh, on your computer itself. This is where Mac Catalyst is such a mm. huge advantage to me because I can take my iOS apps, run them as Mac Catalyst apps and get these beautiful performance traces. But if mm. you have an iOS app, I highly recommend just using Xcode's instruments because it's freaking amazing. That makes sense. That makes sense. How does this differ do you know from dotnet monitor different things um so dotnet comes with a diagnostics port let's call it built into mm. it and you can actually go get a library out there i think it's called like dotnet diagnostics client or something like that yeah and you can 
interrogate any process and hook into the diagnostic port, which gives you event streams, which is what this is doing. You can actually write your own profiler, pretty simple using this mm. technique. Cool. Um, and there are multiple event streams. So what I've been talking about on this whole show is CPU profiling. But another big one that you often want to do in .NET is memory profiling. See what you're allocating, how often you're allocating, how much pressure are you putting on the garbage collector? Because that stuff can add up. If you ever get a garbage collector pause, you'll want to go do that. You're probably doing something silly with allocations. Uh, it can do that. It can do all sorts of stuff. I'm always surprised at how much is in that diagnostic. So the .NET monitor, I think that that's just yet another interface into all that data. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it says it's it's a set of local and production diagnostic artifact collecting of logs, traces, process dumps, and simplifies yeah. exposing consistent HTTP API, regardless of where your API runs. Oh, so maybe it's like also in production if you have a web server or something. Or right, like it's an Kubernetes. thing. It's probably set up to work uh, well in a yeah, server environment. Because otherwise, it's pretty. It, what you're doing is always a local process. So that's mm. probably doing the heavy lifting of a remote process. So uh, what I'm talking about is stuff running on your machine. That's the easiest yeah. way to collect the trace. I'm curious, Frank, I have to try this, is mm. if I run a .NET 6 Android app mm -hmm. on Windows 11 inside mm. the Android mm -hmm. subsystem for Windows, <laughs> which has a PID, can I .NET trace it? Maybe. Maybe, hashtag maybe. Okay, so I've read a few of the docs just because I was trying to understand how this diagnostic stuff worked. Um, on Mac and Linux, it uses a domain socket hmm. uh, to communicate. That's a pretty traditional thing in Unix world. In Windows, it uses a named pipe. So as long as that named pipe is getting transported, you might, I don't know, you might have to do some fancy things. But I think the potential is there because as far as I can tell, all these .NET processes have this diagnostic port open and it's not a port, you know, know what I mean? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it says that on .NET 5 and later, the diagnostic port, it's a feature that was added that allows you to start tracing from app startup. You There's a collect command and you pass it a diagnostic port or something like that. Something yeah. crazy. It's actually kind of funny. Um, it, the, it starts to trace very early on in the app's boot up. So you can actually see kind of .NET loading itself <laughs> in the very oh, beginning cool. of your app. You're like, oh, it's creating all these strings because it needs a bunch of strings. Uh, so you could see like the first like 10 milliseconds of your app are just .NET booting up itself. It's really fun. Uh, you can see your link expressions compiling, how long they take and all that kind of stuff. I don't I, It's... I, and there are and there are other tools out there. Everyone, Visual Studio's built-in debugger does profiling automatically. It's amazing. I love Visual Studio's built-in profiler. Uh, JetBrains has something called Dot Trace. I've had some success mm -hmm. with it in the past. What I love is that this is just baked into .NET itself. It's on Linux. It's on the Mac. And even though it outputs a weird log file, it's really easy to convert into something that's actually viewable. I, I love that. Now, it's cool because there's actually all of these different .NET CLI global tools, and .NET Trace is just one of them. Now, I'm going to list off all the other ones on the documentation, at least, because there's <laughs> .NET Counters, .NET Coverage, .NET Dump, .NET GC Dump, .NET Trace, of course, .NET Stack, .NET Symbol, .NET SOS, and .NET DS Router. <laughs> there are a lot of fancy little tools out there, it turns out.
I've used SOS. SOS is a debugger add-in so that you can debug .NET code from a native debugger. That's always good to have. Oh my gosh, um, Frank. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. D- .NET DS router. Are you ready for this? Uh, I'm trying to guess oh from the name. God. I'm trying to guess from the oh name. Uh, I don't have anything. Okay, what do you got? .NET DS router connects diagnostic tools like .NET trays and .NET counters to .NET applications running on Android, iOS, and tvOS, regardless of whether they're running as an emulator, simulator, or the device itself. Yeah. Diagnostic tools uses local inner process communication, IPC, namepipes, Unix domain sockets to connect and communicate to the .NET runtime. .NET applications running in a Sunbox environment, such as emulators, simulators, and devices, need alternative ways to communicate. This thing injects itself in between <laughs> the existing diagnostic tooling and .NET mobile applications and creates a representation of the application. The DS router enables diagnostic tools to communicate with a remote .NET runtime as if it's running on the local machine. Well, jeepers creep. Well, I guess we know what we're talking about next week. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, it makes sense because from what I've heard, it's just shoving, shuffling this data all around. You know, the runtime can collect it. It just needs to get it off the device. So that is doing some insane networking, scary process stuff to get the data off of the device. I love it. Please do it and report back. <laughs> wow. It's, and it's all open source. Um, GitHub.com slash .NET slash diagnostics. Yeah, that's what I, I, you know, all the pain of .NET 6. And trust me, there has been a lot of pain. The nice thing is, and this is where, like, this is why I wanted to do this show. These little happy things were like, oh, gosh, at least I get to use this ridiculously powerful tool now that works very reliably on all sorts of different apps. That's pretty cool. And I got a new favorite speed new favorite web app speedscope.app everyone yeah that's so crazy wow i i mean i have to imagine that the the the, the teams have been the, the, this cool part is what you said earlier is oh it exports to this windows thing that like obviously like the donut team used for like ever but like obviously these are tools that like the donut teams probably use themselves so they just made them available to everybody oh yeah yeah, you can definitely tell. <laughs> Sometimes there is that, uh, and they they kind of want you writing your own tools too. So mm. in, in the way like, you know, maybe you want to collect performance logs without as much detail in all this. Uh, they made that diagnostics client library pretty easy to use, I would say. I didn't write a big complicated thing with it, but you can definitely write your own kind of profiler stuff with it if you care. But otherwise, um, yeah, you can tell that this is a dev tool stuff. Watch out. Uh, the documentation as a dev tool is a little bit behind <laughs> the current version. There are command line arguments that have changed and all that stuff. So I highly recommend just looking at the source code for it and seeing what the command line arguments are and seeing yeah. from there. There is documentation on the .NET MAUI repo that is profiling .NET MAUI apps, which use .NET DS router and .NET trace, and Sweet. they show you how to do <laughs> Blog entry really? coming up. We we gotta refine it though. If it, it sounds a little complicated, we just need yeah. like a we need to write a Maui app that can profile Maui apps. That's what we need. Yes, yes, that is true. <laughs> I don't know. It's just incredible. That's just I don't know. That's cool to me. It is, and yeah, I, I I'm so excited to have this honestly because I was just never able to profile my uh, .NET Core apps. Like I said, I was porting things to iOS to profile them, and that's just silly. Uh, so this is exciting. Can I also just uh, to end the show give a big shout out to Ryujit, the JIT, 
The jet. <laughs> the jet. It turns out it's pretty good at its job. I was trying to outsmart it. I was being all like computer sciencey and hackery, and I was like, I'm gonna write the register level code to make this loop faster, and I'm gonna make the math better, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do all this complicated stuff to like speed it up. That's the profiler was telling me I could speed it up. And after all that effort, rewriting the code to use all the latest x86 intrinsics and vector operations and all that stuff, it was immeasurably slower slash faster than the Ryujit version of it, which was a simple C-sharp for loop over an array. So everyone, your simple C-sharp for loops over an array are very fast, thanks to Ryujit. Good job, Ryujit. <laughs> All right. Well, we've now officially .NET traced with the .NET DNS router. So that is going to do it for this week's merge conflict. Hope that everyone enjoyed our subscription update and also profiling. I mean, we talked about profiling for a half an hour and literally profiling is never fun to talk about. And I had a blast because I just discovered all sorts of fun things that I'm sure the team that worked on it are going to be like excited, hopefully, if they I don't know if they listen to our podcast, probably not, but if they do. <laughs> Shout out to all of them, because uh, that's really, really neat stuff, because we're like, I wonder if this works. Oh, it does. Someone thought about that. So, yeah. all right, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Frank, we did it. So until next time, this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.